Good morning. It's good to be with you on this sunshiny Easter morning. Would you please stand and join me in the call to worship, which is printed in your bulletin. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Death has been swallowed up in victory. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. The Lord is risen. encourage you to take a moment to share a word of greeting, a word of peace and welcome with others who are here in worship today.
so great to see you as we gather on this wonderful Easter day. There are a number of uh, things in your bulletin about upcoming events. Just want to mention to you that next Sunday we go back to our regular schedule of services at 820, 940, and 11. And next Sunday night we will be uh, showing a film about the life of Lilius Trotter, who uh, was a phenomenal missionary to uh, North Africa, worked among Muslims, and just did a great work there, has a powerful life story. And uh, we actually have a a center here of of Muslim studies uh, named Lilith Trotter Center. And so we invite you to uh, mark down on your calendar to be a part of that next week. And uh, the other things happening throughout this week and uh, all that you can be involved in, uh, we are happy to have you do that. Please stand with me and uh, let's read responsively the Nicene Creed, which will be found here on the overhead. And we'll read this together responsibly. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternal begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, True God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He is spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and of the life of the world to come. Amen.
Our scripture reading today is from Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Can you please stand for the reading of the gospel? After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord had come down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They will see me there. This is the word of the Lord. I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God but a portion of all that he has lavished upon us. Once the offering plate has passed your row, please feel free to take children to Children's Church. Praise God from whom all Thank you. 
What a great truth. And uh, it is because Christ has risen that our prayers have meaning and power. And so as we spend a few moments praying together, as, as you offer your prayers and we offer our prayers together, if you'd like to come and use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me.
great God of victory, we celebrate today the glory, the grace, the power of your risen Son. Through him, we are free. Because he has risen, sin and death no longer have power to hold us, to defeat us in this life. And we rejoice today over who you are and all that you've done. This morning, Father, we come and we, we offer our prayers to you through the risen Christ. Knowing that you love us, you love to hear our prayers, and that you are at work in answering our prayers. Father, this morning, we pray for all among us who are struggling with grief. And we pray especially for Mary Boomhauer, her family at the death of her brother, We pray, Father, that you will bring comfort to her and to all who are grieving. That they might know the power of the risen Christ, even in the midst of death. Father, we pray today for all who are struggling with health concerns. We pray especially for Barb Rangel and Bill Duzema, for Bob Jovair and Rich Reynolds, for Calvin and Laurel Buecher, for Warren Woolsey, for Bill Getty, for Phil Muecher. For Mike Raybuck and Jill Tyson, for Bruce Brenneman and Bev Rett, for Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth, for Dick Gould, Crystal Blake, Emily Cricklar, and for others who are on our minds and our hearts today. We pray for your healing grace upon each one. Father, we pray for all the other burdens and concerns and needs in our lives. We pray, Father, that you will help us to know courage in our fear. Give us faith in the midst of doubt and despair. Give us your confidence about the future. Give us grace about decisions we may need to make. And Father, restore all that is broken and injured in our lives to your glory. Father, we pray for this world in which we live. We think of the world right around us. And even as we are gathering in worship today, we pray for all of the churches in Allegheny County that are celebrating Easter today. We pray your anointing and blessing upon them. And we ask that they will sense your spirit with them as we sense your spirit with us. Father, we, we pray for uh, the work of your kingdom around the world. We pray, pray for Chris and Melissa George as they minister in Australia. And we ask that you will continue to, to bless them, help them as they, as they uh, work with people who are struggling from uh, dry weather and brush fires and the difficulties that that brings. And we pray that you will help them to be a source of encouragement and hope. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are worshiping you as well. And many of them are doing so under threats persecution and opposition. We ask, Father, that that you will give to them courage and protection and strength. And Father, we think of the many who are grieving, up to 7,000 believers who have died for their faith in this last year. It staggers our minds. And yet, Lord, we know that you are faithful and you are good and you are at work. And you are bringing life out of death. And we pray, Father, for your grace and mercy 
upon all of our brothers and sisters, and especially those who live and worship in very difficult circumstances. Father, we pray that you will continue to fill our hearts with courage, to fill our hearts with faith, to see you in all of your glory and to live in the power of the resurrected Christ. Thank you for this day, for all that it means. We pray, Father, that you will give us grace individually and corporately to live in the truth and the reality of the resurrection of Christ. And we pray this, Father, through Jesus, the one who was crucified and has risen and has promised to reappear, and the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Gates and doors were barred and all the windows fastened down. I spent the night in sleeplessness and rose at every sound. Half in hope and sorrow, half in fear the day would find the soldiers breaking through to drag us all away. Then just before the sunrise, I heard something at the wall. The gate began to rattle, and a voice began to call. I hurried to the window, looked down into the street, expecting swords and torches and the sound of soldiers' feet. But there was no one there but Mary, So I went down to let her in John stood there beside me As she told us where she'd been She said they've moved him in the night And none of us knows where Oh, the stone's been rolled away And now his body isn't there Run ahead We found the stone and empty tomb Just the way that Mary said But the winding sheet they'd wrapped him in Was just an empty shell And how or where they'd taken him Was more than I could tell Well, something strange had happened there Just what I did not know John believed a miracle, but I just turned to go. Circumstance and speculation couldn't lift me very high. 
Cause I'd seen them crucify him And then I'd watched him die Back inside the house again The guilt and anguish came Everything I'd promised him Just added to my shame When at last it came to choices I denied I knew his name And even if he were alive It could never be the same Then suddenly the air was filled With a strange and sweet perfume Light that came from everywhere Drove shadows from the room Then Jesus stood before me With his arms held open wide And I fell down on my knees And I just clung to him and cried Then he raised me to my feet as I looked into his eyes Love was shining out from him Like sunlight from the skies Guilt and my confusion Disappeared in sweet release And every fear I'd ever had Just melted into peace Sweet Jesus is alive. Our second gospel reading is from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Following the tradition of the church, I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men 
in clothes that gleamed like lightning, stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This morning, something happened that changed my life. I thought I knew my brother, but this morning I discovered that he is not the man I thought he was. Has that ever happened to you? You spend your whole life knowing something to be true, and then one day find out that what you knew to be true was not true at all. Maybe it's the words to a song. You've sung them all your life, and then one day find out you've been singing the wrong words all along. It can be unsettling. But this, this was more than unsettling. This has turned my world around. You see, I found out this morning that my brother, my older brother, my big brother, was not crazy. He was, is, my hero, again just like he used to be. I grew up following my brother everywhere. I adored him. I wanted to be him. So it was painful when he began to change. He started saying strange things, making outrageous claims. Then he left home and began traveling around with strangers. He humiliated our family. We tried to stop him, to make him come home and stop stirring up trouble but we couldn't control him. And finally, we gave up hope. It was so hard to lose my brother. And I did lose him. It was as if he died. I mourned as if he had died. And eventually I got on with my life without a big brother. A week ago, when we came into Jerusalem for the Passover, I heard that he was in the city. I made it a point to avoid any place that he might be. But when I heard he'd been arrested, it was hard to pretend, even to myself, that I didn't care. Then came the shocking news that they were going to put him to death. Crucify him? I started walking, out of the city, in the opposite direction. I had to get away, as far away as possible. I couldn't care. I wouldn't. 
I walked blindly until I felt a chill breeze. I looked up and saw black clouds rolling in. The sky became dark, and I heard the distant roar of the crowd. I turned and looked back. Suddenly I knew I had to be there. I had to be with him at the end. I turned and ran back into the city, through the streets, terrified I would be too late. I got there in time. As I arrived at the top of the hill, I stumbled to a stop, shocked at the sight of my brother hanging on a cross. He was speaking with my mother and a man beside her. I pushed through the crowd and reached my mother just as Jesus raised his voice and cried out to God. Moments later, he was gone. And the reality of it all struck me. This was it. My brother was dead. This was the terrible end of our family tragedy. But this morning, everything changed. Unbelievably, miraculously, my brother, my big brother, came to see me. Yes, he came to see me. I don't understand how it could happen, but what I know is that what I believed about him all those years is not true. He was not crazy when he spoke with authority or claimed to be the Messiah. It was all true. And not only that, this morning he gave me a mission to complete for him. He said he wanted me to be a leader in his church. Me. Even though I didn't believe in him. This morning has changed my life forever. I want to run through the streets and tell everyone I meet about my brother. He was dead, but now he is alive. And he's my hero again. He's my big brother. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Change can be unsettling for us. Just when we feel like we have life under control, we have things settled, we have things figured out, and something rolls into our lives, something jars us, something shakes us, it's difficult for us. And I would suspect for most of us, in those moments, we fight that change. I was thinking about when I was a senior in high school, getting near the end of my time of high school and plans for college. We lived in southern Indiana. We're heading to, I'm heading to Pennsylvania to college. And about the first half of June, my parents came to us and said, oh, by the way, we're going to move. We're moving to Oregon. And we're all going to head that way. And I, I'm like, no, I'm not going. I have my plan set. I know exactly what I want to do. I know where this is headed. I do not want this to happen. And they were gracious with me, and we talked through it, and eventually we moved. <laughs> you do these things, right? 
But you know, it was unsettling. It was hard. That kind of life change is, is difficult. It, it, it strikes us, and, and the first response is always no. And that's what intrigues me when, when I think about the crucifixion, and particularly a passage. We didn't read it this morning, but it's a passage in Acts chapter 4. That the disciples are out preaching in Jerusalem. And it says, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. And these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. And I was reading that recently, and it struck me, why were they so upset? That Peter and John are teaching that there's a resurrection of the dead. What's the big deal about teaching about the resurrection? A part of it is because the Sadducees didn't believe in the afterlife. They, they, they didn't believe in the resurrection at all. They believed that this life is it. But I think there's something deeper going on for them. Because they have begun to realize if it's true that Jesus rose from the dead, and that that means that everyone who follows him also will live and will be resurrected bodily as well. It throws everything about how you think about life now into chaos. Nothing can be the same. If a person can rise from the dead, if death isn't the end, if there is more, if it's bigger and greater, then life is not what we think it is. And it throws everything into chaos, everything into, into upheaval. And no wonder they're fighting against them. No wonder they're upset. There's an old story I read years ago. There's a play and drama, and in there there's a dialogue about Jesus' resurrection, and a soldier says to, actually it's a pilot's wife, and she, she asked the soldier, do you think he's alive? And he said, yes. She said, where do you think he is? And his response was, he's loose in the world where no one can contain him. And there is something about that. I think that the Sadducees and the religious leaders are thinking, if Jesus really is alive, then we can't contain him anymore. There's no telling what he will do. I mean, we thought we had him boxed in. We even had him so boxed in, we put him on a cross, and that's it, done, finished. We wipe our hands of it, and it's over. And we can go back to living the way we want to live. But if you're telling us that he has risen from the dead, that the biggest enemy, the greatest threat we have against him is no longer valid, What are we going to do with that? Everything's out of control. Everything's up for grabs. There is no telling what God will do. And you would think people who are in the business of religious stuff would be happy that God has all the freedom in the world to do what he wants to do. But they're not. Because they have their designs on what life is like, what they want life to be. And quite frankly, what Jesus is saying and what God is saying to them disrupts that. And I suspect that maybe there's a little bit of that in our lives. 
just a little bit of if God is who he says he is, if Jesus has done what he says he has done, if Jesus has risen from the dead, if this life is not the end, if we are going to be resurrected bodily, if God has more in store and God is completely in control and we are not, it's going to change some things about how we think and how we live. I mean, the bottom line for these religious folk is that if Jesus rose from the dead, then it means that everything Jesus said is true. All the ways in which Jesus talked about life and the kingdom are true. And for people who have their own ideas about the kingdom, that's unsettling. I don't know about you, but it is to me sometimes. Because I've got my ideas of what I want the kingdom to be. I've got my ideas about what I, how I want God to act and what I want God to do. And it's unsettling when God says, um, I think we're going to go this way instead of that way. I want you to think like this instead of like that. I mean, it completely define, redefines how we think about success. How we think about what, what's valuable. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 14 about, um, talks to the people about going to a banquet. He says, when you go to the banquet, don't take the seat of the highest honor. Take the low seats. Take the humble seats. Don't live with such a high level of arrogance because it's going to get, it's going to come to, to bite you in the end. And he's saying the kingdom is about being humble. What is success? It's not wealth and power and influence and fame. It's sacrifice and humility It's love. It's compassion. It's everything that is the opposite of what our society and culture tells us is success. And it's so easy to buy into that. And yet here's the risen Christ saying, look, I tried to tell you that the way to life is death. But it's hard to see it. It changes how we view other people, particularly people that... Quite frankly, we would rather avoid people who are needy. This whole encounter starts here in Acts 4 because of what happens in Acts 3. Peter and John are going to the temple uh, to to worship. And there's a a man crippled there and he asks them for money. And Peter says, well, we don't have any money, but how about if we pray for you to be healed? He says, okay. And he prays and he's healed. And, and he's running around dancing and jumping. And in fact, the religious leaders later say, how are we going to combat this? The guy's standing right here. There's not a lot we can say about this. We can't deny it. But they're upset in some ways because Peter and John are telling them the kingdom is not just for people who have power and wealth and influence and all the advantages of life. It's about people who are needy and burdened and weighed down. And all of the ways in which we think about priorities of life are completely shifted if resurrection is true. And I think something in the back of the minds of the, of the religious leaders understands that, and that's why they're fighting against it. And something in the back of our minds really would rather not believe that because we want to believe that the ways of success and power are kind of look a lot like how everybody else thinks about it. Because if you take the the pathway of priority of humility 
and compassion and grace and patience and love, you, get, you often get trampled on. I mean, look what happens to Jesus. I mean, we're excited today about the resurrection, but look what we had to go through to get to today. There's one, one of the ancient prayers of the church. It says, Lord, we thank you that the way of life is the way of the cross. I think that's a gutsy prayer. I actually don't like praying that prayer. Because if that's true, then that means it's not just about Jesus going to the cross, but it's about you and me recognizing that life comes through death. That the value of the kingdom is in giving and serving and loving, patience and compassion. It turns everything upside down. If resurrection's true, I, I think it. I think it has a, a bearing on how we how we think about what we have as well. You know, if you're going to be compassionate and patient and loving and caring, then you end up in a situation like the disciples are at the end of chapter four, where it says they had everything in common. They shared everything they had. No one thought that what was his own was his own, but it was all of ours. And there is this spirit in resurrection life that says, my, what I have is about giving, not about hoarding. It's about how much can I give away, not how much can I hang on to. It's a completely different mindset than everything we are taught as we grow up in this world. I mean, everything we're taught in this life is hang on to it, clutch it, grasp it, keep it. And there is wisdom in, in you know, having, having the right things and doing the right things with what we have. But there is a mindset that is thinking, how much can I give away and still live? As opposed to how little can I give away and still be in good graces with God? It completely transforms our thinking about all of life. And quite frankly, that's unsettling. Because it changes the way in which all the world thinks about stuff. And ultimately, though, it is about how we deal with sin and evil in this world. I mean... Here are Peter and John, and later on in this chapter, it talks about how the religious leaders look at them and say, you know, they're unschooled. They don't have education like we have. But, wow, there's something in them that you can't ignore. And they are courageous and bold, even in a spirit of humility, in front of these religious leaders who threaten them. They say to them, uh, we're going we're to let you go, but don't talk anymore about resurrection." Peter and John say to them, look, who are we going to obey, you or God? We have to obey God. And the next chapter, they're out preaching again. And it eventually costs them their lives. But they can do it because they know that death is not the end. They know that the greatest threat against them has been defeated. Because Christ is risen. And it changes the whole dynamic of how we think and how we live in the face of opposition and difficulty. I mean, I think about our brothers and sisters around the world 
who this day don't have the privilege of gathering in worship like we do. When I think about this, as we read in the, in, the, in the bulletin today and prayed, in the last year, more than 7,000 believers lost their lives just because they're followers of Jesus. And the threat and the persecution and the opposition that so many of our brothers and sisters live under is unbelievable for them. And yet you read their testimonies and you see their courage and their faith in the midst of that. They experience things that, quite frankly, you and I probably know very little about. And yet there they are, standing up for the gospel, speaking the truth, living compassionately, lovingly, because they are living with a resurrection perspective. And ultimately, it is that that changes how we think. And as unsettling as life may be, and as unsettling as the call of resurrection may be, it is the greatest thing in the world. Because anything we give up is to gain. Anything we lose is to get more. What feels like loss sometimes is victory. And when the people watch Jesus die on Friday... Had no clue in that time, in that first in the, in the first century, what Sunday was going to bring. But when Sunday came, it changed everything, and it does for you and me as well. The thing about resurrection that I think sometimes we miss—it took me a long time to see this—is that often we think that the resurrection means that we will live after we die. And that's true. But resurrection just as much means that we live now before we die. That we live now in hope and joy and grace and truth and courage and humility and love. That the Spirit of Christ can change us now. And yes, sometimes it feels unsettling. Sometimes it feels like we're losing and we're giving up. We're gaining Christ. And we're gaining, we're gaining the, the risen Christ in our lives to lead us and to guide us and to fill us and to change us and to be agents of change in this world. Tim Keller says that, talks about when you drive, when a big truck drives over a little bridge, there's what you might call a bridge quake. And if you've ever done that at the same time as a truck, you feel it. And he says if you have somebody who, who uh, a, a large man walking on thin ice, you get an ice quake. And that can be a little bit unsettling to feel that. And he says, when you really embrace the resurrection, when the resurrection really becomes the meaning of our lives, we get a life quake. It changes things. It has to. It it changes how we think, and it changes how we feel. It changes how we live, how we treat one another. It changes how we view the world and our lives and other people. But a life quake doesn't have to be bad. It can be the most awesome thing in the world. And he says it's like, it's like, um, he says something that made me think about the fact that I wrestle with migraine headaches. And um, I had them since I was a little child. And um, 
They, they, you know, they're debilitating. And some of you know the, the burden of that and the weight of that and how debilitating it can be. And I'm always thinking, I've always been thinking about what is it that triggers these headaches? And unfortunately, one of the things that I've discovered that triggers migraine headaches for me is coffee. I love coffee. I love the smell of coffee. I love the taste of coffee. I don't put, I don't water it down with anything, just black, you know, strong and black. And, and I love espresso. In fact, I don't know if you've ever had those chocolate-covered coffee beans. I mean, those are the greatest things in the world. You're just chewing coffee, you know. It, it's awesome. And I love that. I love everything about it. I love grinding it. I just love everything about coffee. And to come to the realization that coffee is a migraine trigger is, was so difficult for me. In fact, I kept fighting the truth about it for a long time. And I would think, I figured out, okay, if I eat a bunch of sweets and drink coffee, then I'm okay. It doesn't affect me quite as much. It kind of dilutes it down. But then there are other consequences for that. <laughs> but, you know, I finally had to come to the place of saying, look, do I want to be free of migraines? Or do I want to keep dealing with that because I don't want to let go of coffee? What seemed like it was so great. And the truth of the matter is, it's a, much as I still miss drinking coffee, to live with a lot less migraines is a pretty easy trade-off when I think about it. And there is something about embracing the resurrection that Christ comes into our lives, and yes, it changes the way we think about things, and it changes the way we, we view ourselves and the world, and sometimes it feels like we're losing. It feels like we're giving up so much. But the reality is we're gaining the risen Christ and all that that means and the power to live in freedom and to live victoriously and to be filled with his joy and his grace and his mercy and his love and to be his people. And that's what God wants for every one of us. The big deal of the resurrection is that it changes our lives. And because it changes us, it has the potential to change other people and to change the world, to change the culture, to change everything about this existence we have, not just in the world to come, but now, today, life as we live it. My prayer is that the resurrection will so get a hold of us, it will change the way we think and live, that we will become people so filled with the resurrected Christ that maybe there might be a few people who are completely opposed to God who would say, that's too much. Maybe even like the, the Sadducees, that, that they would see in us the potential for the world to be turned upside down because they see Christ in us. The resurrected Christ living in us today and in the days to come. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us with the res resurrected Christ. Lord, help us to live in the power of the resurrection and the grace of the resurrection. And let it transform how we think and how we feel. 
even if it means upsetting the status quo of our lives. Give us the grace to embrace you. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. It is um, a great tradition to end our Easter, our closing hymn each Easter to, to sing, Christ the Lord is Risen Today, Charles Wesley's great hymn. So let me invite you to stand as we sing it together.
couple of other traditions as we conclude. Uh, one is that the, the benediction uh, will be responsive. I'll say, the Lord is risen. You'll answer, he is risen indeed. And we'll repeat that three times, each time gaining in volume. The last time, raise the roof. And, uh, and the other tradition is that uh, the playing of Vito's Toccata at the end of the service. You're welcome, when, that is, when we're done with the benediction, to be seated and listen or to feel free to leave. Uh, either way is perfectly appropriate. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. Amen.